since each one of us have our own experiences which are unique each one of us have our own thought processes which are unique therefore each one of us has the capability of drawing something very very interesting and very very unique from a book that we read if you work hard in your life you will manage to become someone you will manage to reach somewhere but is that what you wanted to become is that where you wish to reach and the day the answer to that question comes is a no everything that you would have achieved in that point of life time in your life will become meaningless i ask myself two questions one is what is it that i wanted to do with my life eventually and that in turn would have answered my question as to what is my destination and second question i asked myself was what is the kind of a universe that i would want to be a part of hey everybody thank you for tuning into this episode of the next move podcast on this show we attempt to deconstruct the strategies and tactics of people who are doing incredible things in their field in today's episode i spoke with dr himanshu rai who's a director at iim indoor which is the indian institute of management and as many of you know that's one of the most prestigious universities in the country on top of that he is also a content creator and influencer every single day he dedicates 30 minutes to posting on linkedin and he shares everything about his life and tips and books that have left a huge influence on him and through that he's created an amazing following with so much engagement on the platform and his story is very inspiring he used to work at Tata Steel for 8 years before getting on a mountaineering trip and suddenly realizing hey this is not what i want to do with the rest of my life and on a whim he changed his entire career path from the corporate world to the teaching world and now dr rai is one of the best recognized teachers in india and we talk about the whole transition from the corporate world to becoming a teacher to becoming a director of a university and the questions that you need to ask yourself before making a huge transition so if you're at a place where you are you don't even know what your passion is these questions will help you get to a place where you're closer to knowing So if you're in that place I highly recommend you watch this podcast all the way through the end his positivity and energy I promise you will keep you going. So sit back, relax and enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Dr. Himanshu Rai. Dr. Himanshu, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Arman. So I I want to start with and I I know this may be a little bit of different place to start with. but i've been following you on linkedin and i have watched several of your interviews and i can see your background books are clearly very very important to you and you write about them a lot and i want to ask you why has reading played such an important part of your life and and why do you think books are so crucial for you so for multiple reasons arman the reason the, the i think the most important reason is that it's thanks to books that i am where i am and uh, and by that i don't mean a, a particular position or or the work that i am doing but the fact that i have been able to figure out what is it that i want to do with my life the fact that i have been able to figure out my swadharma is actually because of the, the books that i have been reading so to me books are almost like traveling they allow me to travel through the mind of the author they allow me to travel through time to those places 
where those books are set, to those times where those books are set, and they allow me to develop multiple perspectives. So one of the things, Arman, uh, I don't know whether you have realized or not, but every time I read a book, so when I read a book, say the second time after a couple of years, I get something completely different out of it. And therefore, books also help me in developing certain perspectives. They help me in forming certain ideas in my head. And when I read multiple books, which talk about, say, some similar themes, they help me in actually answering some of the questions that I have about life or sometimes even about myself. And therefore, to me, books were almost an extremely important part of my life right from my childhood. That's all I've seen. All my life, I was surrounded by books because my mother was uh, also studying at the same time while I was. And then she subsequently went on to her BA, BA, MA, MA, PhD, DLIT. So our house just had books all around. And that kind of has had a profound impact on me. So books have been a relatively new thing for me. I, I, I think I started reading properly about two years ago. And I agree, it gives you new perspectives. But one of the challenges that a lot of people have when they start reading is what do I read and how often do I read and how do I even take information out of this? Because it feels sometimes like information overload. So there's a few questions there. I want to ask you first, how do you decide what you'll spend your time reading next? I think there are several sources from where I pick up my books. So initially as a child, as I said, I just read the books which were around me. And that is what got me into Sanskrit literature because my mother was a student and subsequently a professor for 32 years in Sanskrit literature. So that was the literature I read for. Sanskrit, in fact, was the first language that I learned. I learned English as my second language and Hindi as my third language and then Punjabi and Bhojpuri because that's what was spoken at my uh, grandparents' place from both the sides. And therefore, the Sanskrit literature came to me as something which was normal. Now, because my parents were not very good at English, and for whatever reason, they wanted their firstborn to be extremely proficient in English, they started getting me some of the early books. So I still remember Arman, and this is amazing because I read that book after some 20 years again, and it had again a profound impact on me. The first book that my parents got for me, it was written in the form of a comic, and it was a book called Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Now, a lot of people again think of Moby Dick and the character Captain Ahab as perhaps something, a book which should be read by children, or, or rather, it should be read by children for sure. Every book should be read by children. But they thought it was a book for children. But when you look at Moby Dick, there are such serious lessons to be drawn, particularly when you talk about the tragic flaw of the Captain Ahab, which is hubris, excessive pride. And subsequently, as I said, when I read that book 20 years later, it gave me a completely different perspective. And now, when sometimes I teach a subject called leadership through literature, I actually give examples from that first book that I read. And likewise, uh, now this one is funny because my mother, and, and because she, didn't, she never read uh, English books, the first novel that she gifted me was Godfather uh, as a child. And that was simply because she thought it had something to do with God. Uh, little did she know that <laughs> the classic of Mario Puzo <laughs> was something very, very different. Perhaps that was not the right time for me to be handed over that particular book. But again, those were my formative years. Later, somebody actually introduced me to P.G. Woodhouse, and that became one of my favorites. Um, so much so that I've read everything that P.G. Woodhouse has ever written. And likewise, somebody who was fond of adventure suggested to me Wilbur Smith. And again, I have, and I've read everything that Wilbur Smith has ever written. So I would say what I find I pick it up. 
Sometimes I pick up books because somebody's recommended them to me. And sometimes I just browse. So whenever I'm at the airports, I browse a book. And if I like the first two, three pages, I pick that book up. So multiple sources from where I pick up my books. But my intention is to read, read each and every damn book that I can lay my hands on. Wow. And do you, and sorry, I get a little bit deep into these kind of questions, but what does your process look like? So do you read every single day? Is it whenever you get time? How do you go about taking in that information? Without fail, Arman, without fail, I read every single day. So that's one of the things that I will never do without. I mean, it's just like music. So I, I never go to bed unless I had, unless I have heard some music. And therefore, that is one thing that I always take to bed. So that is something, even if I haven't read throughout the day, when I go to bed in the night to sleep, before that, I have a book in my hand. And there is always some music that I ask Alexa to play. So that is something I would do without fail. A mix of the new and the old with Alexa and books. I love that. <laughs> and, and so one of, one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people, and I was... I was talking about it earlier is information overload, right? We're taking in social media information all day with the internet, books. It's a lot to take in. And what tends to happen is we don't retain that information, right? When you're reading, whether it's for studying for school, I, I am wherever you are, when you're reading, you want to really retain that information so that you can use it. What are some ways that you have used to make sure that every book that you have and you've read you can actually keep that information for the long term. So multiple things are mine. One is that I make notes. So whenever I'm reading a book and there's something interesting that I come across, I make notes out of it. And if I'm reading it on the Kindle, then you can obviously highlight and it automatically gets saved on your notes. So, so that is one. The second thing is if I find something interesting, I always make it a point to have a discussion on it with someone. So I have some of these friends uh, who do not have the patience to read. So they have a deal with me. And the deal is that once in a week or once in two weeks, they let me know about a book that they want to know about. And obviously I read it and then they discuss it with me so that I can give them the summary of the book and we can have a discussion around it. So that actually helps me too. So I'm, I'm not the worst, I'm not the worst uh, so far as this deal is concerned. The simple reason that it makes me read some of the books. So I do this, this is the second part. And the third part is that I also use a lot of what I read on my social media. So a lot of people, you know, they ask me as to how am I so, so uh, consistent uh, out there on the social media and where do I get these amazing thoughts from? Uh, the, the whole point is these amazing thoughts come to me from the books that I've read. So I read something and that kind of, you know, initiates a train of thought. And then whenever I sleep, just before sleeping, if I have a thought in mind, I write it down, I make a rough note of it on a piece of paper. And the morning when I get up, I just look at that paper and then I see as to where has that thought led me. And that is the message that I put out on my social media. So I think if I have to, if I have to give some kind of uh, sense making to this entire processes, one is that make sure that you are writing about what is it that you are taking out of the book. Because if you don't do that, there are two problems. One is you will not be able to retain as to what did you really get out of the book. Number two, you would not be able to connect to the other books that you have read on say similar themes, etc. So when you write down those thoughts, it helps you in doing so. Number two, reflect on them. And number three, discuss it with somebody else. That, that's exactly. my mantra. 
No, that, that's really awesome. And, and I wonder because nowadays they have all these book summaries, right? They have apps dedicated to just five points that you can take away from each book. And that's basically the same thing you're doing for your friends. Do you think that you can use those or do you think it's actually important to go through the entire book for yourself? Because I completely agree with you that every person's going to take away different stuff from a book. So what do you think on that? I think everyone should read those books instead mm. of taking a summary from me or for that matter, somebody else, even if it's the internet, because you know, the book reading, when you read a book, you develop your perspectives. Whereas when you are actually taking a summary from somebody else, or for that matter, even if you're reading a book, not in its original form, but somebody else's interpretation of the book, in that case, you are taking it somewhat normatively. It's, it's almost like being in the prescriptive mode while reading that, look, this is the book. These are the lessons, take the lessons. Whereas when you actually read the book, you go through that experience yourself. You vicariously live the life of the protagonist who's there in the book. And since each one of us have our own experiences, which are unique, each one of us have our own thought processes, which are unique. Therefore, each one of us has the capability of drawing something very, very interesting and very, very unique from a book that we read. When you actually take the summary either from the internet or from someone like me, uh, you're actually not living that experience, which you otherwise could. So, I, and I know you, again, from interviews, I know you love fiction, right? I think I, I've, I've- As well, as well. As well as, as, well as nonfiction, but a, a few things that really stuck out to me was when you talked about reading Alice in Wonderland as an adult, Right. And I know you've told this story a few times, but I think it'll give context to what we're going to discuss next. Can you talk about the importance of a passage that you read in Alice in Wonderland? So um, as you mentioned that I have, I've told this story on several occasions and on several fora, there was this mountain ring trip that I had done. So I, I also happen to be a trained mountaineer and I love spending time in the Himalayas trekking and climbing. And this was one of my trips in the Garhwal Himalayas. And I was reading this book, Alice in Wonderland, as he said, after many, many years. And I was stuck that by that particular passage when Alice is, is, she's reached crossroads and she doesn't know which road to go on. And she sees a cat coming from the other direction. His name is Cheshire Cat. And Alice asked the Cheshire Cat, Cheshire Cat, where do I go from here? Which road do I take? The cat says that depends a good deal on where you wish to reach. Alice says, I don't much care where. The cat says, then it doesn't matter which road you take. And that was not the end of the passage. Thereafter, Alice realizes that maybe this was not the smartest answer to give. So as an afterthought, she adds, so long as I reach somewhere. And the cat says, you will reach somewhere if you walk long enough. Now, to me, there were two very, very clear messages that stuck me. One was obvious. I mean, it, it was smack in your face. And the other was a little subtle one, which came to me after a little bit of reflection. The obvious message was that if you really do not know where you wish to reach, then do anything. Then do anything in your life. It really doesn't, it really doesn't matter where life is taking you because you do not have a destination in your mind. But the second, and this was more important to me, was that if you work hard in your life, you will manage to become someone. You will manage to reach somewhere. But is that what you wanted to become? Is that where you wish to reach? And the day the answer to that question comes is a no, everything that you would have achieved till that point of life, time in your life will become meaningless. And that gave me some kind of a jolt. And I said, hey, 
I need to figure out where am I headed. I need to figure out what is the kind of a universe that I wish to be in. I need to figure out what is my destination because my destination will also tell me as to what is my destiny. And thereafter, I have to figure out how am I going to create that universe, the universe that I wish to step into. And thus started that process of introspection, reflection, which led to my quitting my corporate job and then getting into the academic field. You know, I find it amazing that these children's books, at least what are initially meant for children, actually have these huge philosophical, you know, meanings that you don't really take away until you're older. And the reason why, thank you for telling that story, and the reason why I ask it is exactly what you talk about. You know, there's a lot of us that, especially in our 20s, you know, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with our lives. It seems like a daunting thing, and it almost seems like you have to do one thing and stick with it for the rest of your life, right? And you said that in your career, you made a drastic change, right, from being in a corporate to becoming a teacher. Now, can you walk us through the exact questions that you asked yourself to find out what you wanted to do? And how did you figure out that teaching was the path to go on? Okay. So I think fundamentally, I asked myself two questions. One is, what is it that I wanted to do with my life eventually? And that in turn would have answered my question as to what is my destination? And second question I asked myself was, what is the kind of a universe that I would want to be a part of? Because that would then tell me if I, if I could picture that universe. And so to me, the answer that came was that I wanted to be in a universe where every human being reached his or her potential, which means that they actually achieved self-actualization. And I realized that if at all I'm imagining a universe, which is my imagination, it is only fair that I make an attempt to create it as well. I mean, I, I cannot expect somebody else to come and create my universe. So I have to create my universe. And then I went about thinking as to how can I be, how can I create a world where every human being has realized his or her true potential, where every person has actually managed to get into the stage of self-actualization. So while I could have done it even with a corporate career by, by probably writing about things, by actually having conversations, what I realized was, that getting into academic field will take me there faster because I would be doing that even as a part of my job, my, my nine to five job, or so to say my day job, which means I would be reading, I would be talking to people, I would possibly be in a place where I could be influencing minds, where I could be helping people, being of assistance to them so that they can come up, they can figure out who they truly are. And you know, the, the question I think I want people to ask of themselves also is, that when you talk about what is it that you want to become, the first level of understanding that you need to have is who are you right now? And when you ask yourself, who are you? Who am I? You also ask yourself, if you find the answer to that question, you also ask yourself, why are you whoever it is that you are? And that helps you in reconciling a lot of things. I know this is not the question that you asked me. I've already answered that part of the question, but I thought it was extremely important because you said that at the, in the 20s, people are a little concerned about their identity. And I see this problem across the world. So people, particularly in their 20s, are trying to find their identity. Some are trying to find their identities in their religion. Some are trying to find their identity in their family surname. Some are trying to find an identity 
in something which they believe is unique or are very, very independent, very, very new. Now, I want these people to understand is don't try to draw your identity from something as superficial as a family name. I'm not saying family name is not important, but I'm saying that that is not something that you have made. That is not something that you have created. Don't try to draw your identity from an organized collective, be it religion, be it community, be it, be it whatever. I mean, people try to look at some kind of collective, but try to figure out your identity through your passion. What is it that makes you happy? And for that, you need to ask those two questions, as I said, who are you really? Because when you start answering that question, that question will lead to further questions which will help you in understanding yourself better. And once you also understand that there were things which happened to you in your childhood which have shaped you to be the present person, whoever it is that you are, it helps you to reconcile some of those things which may have happened to you. And then it gives you the way forward for the simple reason that you will never move forward until and unless you have shed up the baggage that you're carrying from the past. Shed that baggage, look ahead and then start walking. So I, I love that. And I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, I've sat in front of a journal before and I've written who am I at the top and you don't know where to go from there. Like you said, it leads you down a series of questions, but how do you even start at that question, right? How did you approach that question? How did you realize, hey, I want to help people. This is where I get my energy from. And I can see it on I, I, that's one of the things I really appreciate about you most. You always have positivity. You're always highly energetic. So how did you come to that realization in terms of when you wrote that down on a paper, where did your mind go? So, so for me, uh, Arban, it was more of a, a serendipitous moment. It was a moment of epiphany. To me, it just happened. And th therefore, there was not a process that I followed. I think the things that helped me were that I used to do a lot of reflection. I used to do a lot of introspection. I used to, as I said, I, I, I climb and I, and I do my treks. And when you're in the Himalayas, in any case, you are at one with yourself and you are at peace with yourself. So I think the situation was right. And then something beautiful happened. How to do it in an organized way is something that I can answer, though I have not experienced it. Because as I said, for me, it was just a serendipitous moment. And I hope Everyone in their lives uh, gets that moment of epiphany. I don't know how and when, but I hope they do. But if you want to approach it in a more methodical way, I would quote from my favorite book, and that is the Gita, that there are three ways of figuring out what your Sadharma is, to figure out who you really are. The Jnana Yoga, the Karma Yoga, and the Bhakti Yoga. The Jnana Yoga is always about reading. So read a lot. And when you read, there would be some sentence somewhere that'll probably get stuck in your head. And that will probably help you, or, or rather initiate a chain of thoughts or a chain of uh, reflections, et cetera, et cetera, which may lead you to the answer. The other is the karma yoga, which means do things. Do things that make you happy. Or try out new things. Experiment with your life. Experiment with, with you know, talk to people who are different to you. Try out different cuisines, not the one that you have every day. Try to go to places which you otherwise wouldn't have. Once you start doing that, you would suddenly have that moment which, which kind of tells you that, aha, when I was doing this, I was in that state of bliss. And the third, of course, is the bhakti yoga, that find yourself a guru. And by guru, I do not mean one of the godmen or one, some such thing, but anybody who you think you can bounce your ideas off, anybody who you think you can have these conversations with, 
And while having those conversations, perhaps that guru as a mentor or as a teacher, a teacher come friend or a guide can actually help you in figuring out who you truly are. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it, once you have some sort of answer in your head, right? You, you say you want to be a teacher, you say you want to be a podcaster, whatever it is you want to do, you have to make that jump, right? That's a huge jump that's hugely challenging. And I think that's what constricts a lot of us from making that leap because it's like, oh, I'm leaving behind a good job. I'm leaving behind money. I'm leaving behind comfort. What do you do in that situation? How do you slowly transition? Or do you think that you need to just jump into your new career path and go all in? <laughs> I, I don't know whether I should be prescriptive here uh, and say that this is what you should do. I'll tell you what I did. I, I jumped. I, I took that leap of faith. So, you know, when I figured this out, I came down from my Himalayas. I went back to Jamshedpur, which is where I was working with Tata Steel. And I tried to figure out, okay, if I have to get into the academic field, what do I need to do? And I realized that I wanted to study this subject called conflict management. I wanted to study negotiation. I wanted to do something in management. And then I figured out, okay, you have these institutions, the IAMs, and here is this uh, test, the, the CAT, the common admission test of the IAMs, and one has to crack that test. So the moment I figured that out, unfortunately, I was in time for filling the forms in that particular year. So I just filled up the forms. I wrote CAT and I resigned. I did not wait for my results. My parents were furious. The people around me were furious that, are you mad? You should at least wait for the results. But I, was, I had this strength of conviction that I knew what I wanted to do. And I said, it doesn't matter. Even if I don't crack CAT, I would have my back against the wall. And then I'm sure I'm going to work that much more harder to get onto the path that I've chosen for myself. I mean, it's another story. Fortunately, I got through CAT. I mean, I cracked CAT and I got through IMM the bug, and then I went on to, to, to resume my studies, so on and so forth. But I was very, very sure that I have to take that leap of faith. And to me, the more you procrastinate, the more you overanalyze, the more you overthink, the chances are that you will find an excuse. Of, of either being too young or being too old or having responsibilities or family who possibly does not even expect them from you, but I'm sure you will create them in the head saying, oh my God, I have this responsibility. And therefore you will find it as a convenient excuse to park your dreams with. And therefore, if you were to ask me what I would do again, I would again take that leap of faith. The only thing I think that is required over there is courage and perseverance. You need to have the courage to back your conviction and dreams with. Unfortunately, for me, I'd, I'd had experiences, Himalayas. Trekking in the Himalayas made me courageous. And then I had two incidents. Once when I had a gun pointed at my head and I managed to get through that particular scene, not something that I, uh, that I would like to talk about. But then, and then once when I was chased by a herd of wild elephants. So having lived through these two experiences and being in the Himalayas, I think has made me courageous. I, I, I cannot think of a worse situation that I can possibly be in any which way. And that gives me a lot of strength. And third thing, as I said, is perseverance. One of the things I've realized is, you know, a lot of people are afraid of failing. What if I try something which is very, very new? What if I try to do this, which nobody else has done? What if I fail? What if I take this route, which nobody has taken before me? The whole point is remember, Arman, this is something that trekking in the Himalayas has taught me. If I 
if I attempt 10 peaks, I'm likely to fail in one or two of them. If I make 10 decisions, one or two of them are likely to go awry, or maybe they would not be perfect decisions. Simply because you have failed at a task once or haven't, haven't been able to achieve something that you set out to does not make you a failure. You become a failure the day you stop trying. And therefore, perseverance to me is the key, which means learn from your failure. You will fail. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a truism. You will fail, just like the fact that you will die someday. Likewise, you will fail. You're bound to fail. You're not perfect. The key is if you have the courage and the perseverance to pick yourself up and continue trying to move towards what you believe your destination is, you're good to go. So when you're, when you're talking about courage, right? Courage is something that some people will say you have it or you don't have it. Have I been courageous in the past? Can you build courage? Can you build the ability? And I, I know there's a lot of, you, you're very into philosophy and I think Seneca and all, all these kind of people talk about this kind of topic. How do you build courage to do something like that? You can, you can build courage by practicing courage. You can become brave by practicing bravery. And this is not my philosophy. This actually has come from the Socrates, Socrates model. So Socrates talked about how do you build character? And he said, you can build character. And by character, he did not mean a narrow blinkered perspective. Character, by character, what he meant was the strength of character, the characteristics. So bravery, for example, is a character. Cowardice is, for example, a character. So in that sense. And he says the way to build it is habit plus insight. So habit means that you actually practice it. So for example, if you, build, if you want to build your body, what do you need to do? You need to make sure that you exercise every day, make a habit out of it, get, it into a, get yourself into a mode of discipline where you make sure that you exercise sometime every day. And also insight, insight in a sense, reflect on why being healthy is important to you. And he says, when you combine these two, in that case, you start building that particular attitude that you have set out to. And therefore, what I mean by this is that if you want to become courageous, first of all, make a habit of being courageous, which means do things which you are otherwise afraid of. So I was afraid of heights. Ergo, what did I do? I started climbing mountains. And it does not mean that I'm not afraid of heights anymore. It is simply that I have gone beyond my fear. My knees still shake when I'm standing on the top of that peak and looking down, or for that matter, even on a terrace or some such thing, or when I'm grappling, when I look down while grappling, my knees are still shaking, but I have gone beyond that simply because my knees shake has not stopped me from doing those things. So when you make this habit by doing these small things, and I'm not saying that the first time itself you go and do a bungee jumping and that would take your you know, fear away. Do small things, step by step. Start with something small, which is not going to be risky for you should you be doing it. And then reflect on why is it important for you. When you combine these two things for a period of time, it will become a part of your life and a part of your character. And, and this is a weird question, okay? And, and <laughs> I ask this because you're very into philosophy and you're into Socrates and all these kind of people. Do you think about death often? No. Okay. The reason why I, <laughs> I, the reason why I ask that is because a lot of philosophy that I've read talks about, you know, you think about death as a means to live, right? If it reminds you that you have only a limited amount of time so that you want to do what you, anything you can, because everything, and I think Steve Jobs said this, everything pales in comparison to death. 
So that's why I, I asked about death. But yeah, a lot of people are man death. Obviously, uh, a lot of people are afraid of death. Mm-hmm. A lot of people philosophically uh, think about death as a new beginning. But to me, mm-hmm. death is just like it's like taxes. You know, inevitable. I, I don't think about taxes. I know that yeah, at the end of the financial year, I have to pay them. So I don't bother myself. So you know, it's, it's, it's the same attitude that I have towards death. When it has to come, it will come and take me away. But I'm not going to be thinking about it. I'm not going to be brooding upon it. And I'm not going to be reflecting on it. For the simple reason that I've understood, at least me as a person, I've understood the meaning of death. And once that meaning is clear, I need not spend any more time wondering about it. Yeah, and I get it. And sorry for the random question. Um, no, not at all. There is no uh, such thing as a random question. All questions are bona fide questions. Ah, I love that. And uh, so I want to ask you, you mentioned it earlier, you've built such an amazing community on social media. And that is not easy. There's people posting every single day and there's so much going on. And to be someone that people follow and actively engage with content is not easy. And I know a lot of us are trying to build digital reputations because moving into the next decade, that's gonna be very important. What, what are some things that you've used and what are some things that you've seen in what you've shared that have resonated with people? There are lots of things, Arman. I mean, you know, the first thing I think a lot of people have, have asked me before is that how do you find time to be on the social media given that you have such a hectic work life? And I keep telling people you don't need much time. All you need to have is uh, an attitude of discipline. So I spend about 30 minutes on the social media, just like I spend 90 minutes exercising every day. I take out 90 minutes for my, for my body so that I can have a healthy mind because one of the things I believe in that a healthy mind can stay only in a healthy body. Unless you're physically fit, you cannot be mentally acute. You cannot be mentally sharp, so on and so forth. Likewise, I take out 30 minutes every day for the social media. And that's all it takes. Because as I said, my process is very simple. Whatever I go to, to the bed with, the thought that I go to, in the morning, there is some kind of a crystallization which has happened. And I send that message out. So if, if you follow me on social media, you would realize that I talk about these philosophical thoughts that I have. I talk about perhaps lessons from the books that I have read. And sometimes I talk about the events, which are probably related to my work life or possibly to my social life. And by social life, obviously, I don't mean parties or something. But I mean, if I've given a speech somewhere, or if I've been invited to talk somewhere, or if I go for my Himalayas, the treks, etc. But I talk about what lessons I have drawn. And I think they resonate with people for two reasons. One is that many a times people think that I have articulated what they are thinking. Now, I I don't do it uh, consciously, but then as I said, I I don't call myself an original thinker or something. I read a lot, I talk to a lot of people, and it is through these interactions, through these interactions, that I have some thoughts which formulate in my mind. And when I talk about them, I think they resonate because people think that I've articulated what they were thinking. So that is reason one. And the second thing, uh, which you pointed out as well, I write only positive stuff. So a whole lot of people have asked me that, you know, you, you, you've never written any negative stuff. Don't you get angry? Don't you get cheesed off about things? Or don't you hate someone? And my whole point is, no, I don't get angry. I, mean, I would rather get even uh, instead of getting angry if, if I do have uh, an axe to grind with, with someone. 
but jokes apart, I, I don't get easily, I, I don't get angry easily, I don't get perturbed easily, I don't get irked very, very quickly. I mean, it, it really takes a lot to, to get me to that uh, state. But more importantly, I don't believe in negativity and toxicity. There is already so much crap out there on the social media when you look at it. People talking crap about others, people finding faults with everything, people having someone to hate, etc., etc. I don't have time for all of that. And I write about positive things simply because there are so many people writing negative things any which way. So why add to that garbage? And therefore, I write about positive things for the simple reason I'm, I'm an extremely selfish person. When I write positive things, it makes me feel positive. When I write happy things, it makes me happy. And therefore, I do that for myself. And some of the people read me simply because they say that, you know, we love the positivity that you bring in. And we start by reading your quote the first thing in the morning. And, and you know, Arman, that is what that is what one needs. That is what one needs in terms of motivation. So when somebody writes to me and says that I start my day by reading your quote, that motivates me to write for the next 20 days and I make sure that I'm taking out those 30 minutes to write. When somebody says that I was going through a very difficult time and this was just the thing that I needed today morning, you have brought me back to a state where I can think positively and I can think about myself. Or when somebody goes to an extreme and says, I have a photograph of yours and I, and, I, and I pray it. I look at it every day before going to work. That, of course, is being very, very generous. But when you read things like these, essentially, when you read that people are actually getting positively impacted by what you're writing, you get motivated, you get energized, and you tend to write every day. You tend to become that disciplined person who takes out time. Wow, that, that's amazing. And I want to ask, so you said you rarely get angry. And I, is that something that you've, you've built? Is that something that's always been your personality? And if, if not, what, what are some things you do on a daily basis to make sure that you're at a positive level? You've said exercise. Are there any other habits that you use to make sure that you're positive throughout the day? Just about everything that I do. So I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, born as a person who was, you know, positive and not angry or a very quiet kind of person. In fact, if I were to believe my parents, I, I did cause them a lot of trouble. I used to get irked uh, very, very quickly. I, I do remember a couple of, a few uh, fights that I got into, both in my school and my college days. So clearly I was anything but this peaceful, uh, zen-like person that people consider me to be uh, uh, now. But I think what helped me was the fact that very early on, I realized that anger simply makes, anger harms you, anger damages you more than the person or the object of your anger. And therefore, it's as I told you, I'm an extremely selfish person. I would never let something harm me. And the reason, therefore, I, I consciously tried early on, not to get angry or not to get anger, get the better of me was simply because I did not want to harm myself. The same goes for negativity. What also did help was that one of the things that I've always maintained, I don't allow myself to be in toxic relationships for long. So if I believe that you know, I have some bunch of people around me who are toxic, who, who, are, who are begotted, I very quickly get rid of them. So a lot of people say that, look, you can't do that to friends and family. And my whole point is, yes, you can. And I think, yes, you should. If you think that somebody is being toxic, if you think that somebody is harming your self-esteem, 
by always being negative or critical, it's better that you get away from these people. So this is something that I've always done. I've, I've tried to be around happy people. I have tried not to get carried away with situations. As you said, I exercise, uh, I exercise every day and my exercise is a combination. So it just depends on what do I want to do. So sometimes I do my yoga asans, sometimes I do some running, sometimes I do my plane walking, sometimes I do my gym. And, and I just do whatever comes to mind, but I make sure that I spend at least 90 minutes doing that. And I read a lot, as I said, and I'm into music and I listen to all kinds of music. And these days uh, during the COVID time, since I realized I'm going to be home, I'm also learning music now. I'm learning Hindustani classical singing. And therefore all of these things I believe add on to make a person a quiet person because I simply do not have time to engage in any negativity. I, I love the use of the word quiet. It, you, you're referencing like your mind, right? You're, you're quiet and consistent. I, I, really, I really enjoy that. And I've noticed um, even from previous interviews and like you're saying, you do so much outside of your profession. What has that done for you by being such a well-rounded person, by doing hiking, by learning music? How, how has that helped your life? I'm assuming it has made me a better human being. Mm. Number one, it has made me humble because one of the things I keep telling people is that real education, true education has to make you humble. You see, if you read only, let's say, what is your subject matter, then after a while, once you have researched it enough, once you have read enough and once you have taught enough, you might start thinking that you know every goddamn thing. Whereas when you read on multiple topics, you realize, oh my God, there is so much more to read. There's still millions of books that I haven't read. There's still millions of research papers that I still haven't read. There's still millions of things that I don't know. And that keeps you humble. When you go to the Himalayas, the sheer size and the magnitude of the Himalayas makes you humble. So therefore, and once you are humble, that is when I believe you become worthy of becoming better because when you're humble you realize that you need to know more you need to understand more you need to learn more so i think all of these things that i do help me in becoming a better person they help me in knowing myself better and they also help me in becoming more compassionate and sensitive because they give me multiple perspectives when i do something for example when i'm into music i talk to people who are into music and then i get to understand their point of view their their interests etc when I talk about something like literature, English literature, Sanskrit literature, two of my favorite uh, languages in which I love literature, I tend to talk to those people who are very different from my field. And therefore I get to know their perspectives in life. I get to know their life stories. And all of that I think makes a person a more well-rounded and more importantly, as I said, a more humble and a compassionate person. Well, I heard this quote and I, I don't know who to attribute it to, but I think it, it makes a lot of sense to put here. This person said, reading only made me realize how ignorant I am. Absolutely. Socrates. Oh, that was Socrates? Education and learning is the progressive realization of your own ignorance. Wow. That is the Socratic quote. That's, that's perfect. And I think that's an amazing place to wrap up, uh, Dr. Rai. I really appreciate your time and I learned so much from this conversation. I just want to ask you one last thing. If you had anything to say for 20 year olds, or 18 to 25 year olds who are looking to make a difference in their life, make a change in their life, what, what advice would you give them? This is an advice I think I give in all my speeches. So, so it's something that I'm always prepared with. Mm -hmm. And I would give the same advice 
to people that what you need uh, to focus on are what I call the three P's, purpose, passion, and perseverance. Figure out what your purpose in life is. And it really doesn't matter what age you are in. I mean, I would give the same advice, not just somebody who's in his 20s, his or her 20s, but also some in his or her 60s or some such things. Because if you can figure out the purpose of your life in this lifetime, you will have a better afterlife if you believe in one. And if you don't, in any case, you would have sorted out your life in this particular lifetime itself. So try and figure out what your purpose is. Second, find out what your passion is. What is, what is it that makes you happy? Because a lot of time people try to look at achievements, but what they don't realize is that when you look back at achievements and if those achievements were without fulfillment, you would still feel hollow. It is only achievement with fulfillment that will actually make you happy, that will actually delight you, you know, that will warm your cockles, warm the cockles of your heart. So therefore make sure that you figure out what is it that you're passionate about. And third is perseverance. Remember, there's no substitute to hard work. And if you fall, so be it. Make sure that you have the perseverance to get up again. And then, as I said, continue your journey towards whatever it is. And herein, I would also talk about these two quotes. So, one of the, so I used to use a quote as my signature line, and then I changed it to something different. But I do believe in both of them. The current quote that I have, which I believe in, and which is a part of my signature line, is say what you mean and do what you say. And that should be something that you should attempt to be at, that your thoughts, your words, and your actions, all three are in consonance. And the quote that I used to use earlier is perhaps a quote which would be extremely useful for people in their 20s. And that quote was, I don't believe in miracles. I rely on them. And occasionally, I create some. Which means, don't stop believing in serendipity. Continue reading and suddenly you realize that there's one particular statement in one particular book which strikes a chord with you and completely changes the meaning of your life. Wow, I think that is a perfect place to wrap up. And Dr. Rai, I want to thank you again for coming on. And for everybody, I'm going to put your LinkedIn link below. I highly recommend you follow him for some amazing content. So thank you for coming on.